for this moment, O oh God. This preaching power or preaching hour, rather, to hear from your spirit. Preaching power is what we need. And Lord, so we stand in the wings waiting for you to move. Would you open the eyes of these, your servants, minister to them today and encourage their hearts as we walk through a very dark and difficult world. Thank you for this series in the Chronicles. Thank you for what you've been teaching us. Bless everyone present today now to leave with some word from on high. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. If you'll open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 22. 1 Samuel chapter 22. Just five verses today. I'm going to subpart this into three parts. Verses 1 through 5 of 1 Samuel 22. I want to thank all of you who are present today. Uh, you could have been in one of over 500 churches in the Fresno area, but by the grace of God, you are here with us. And so we are grateful that you have taken the time to come and join us in our exegetical work. So thank you. Thank you, Reverend Alex. He's pulling double duty today. And now he's shepherding his little flock. Amen. The Alex and the Alexettes. Amen. <laughs> I got to remind him, no hats in the sanctuary. I don't know what's going on. His uncles are chipping in for him and say, he slipped, Pastor. Uh-huh, uh-huh. David, therefore, departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house had heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented, they gathered to him. So he became a captain over them. And there were about 400 men that were with him. Then David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and mother come here with you till I know what God will do for me. And so he brought them before the king of Moab and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Now the prophet Gad, he said to David, do not stay in the stronghold, but depart and go to the land of Judah. So David departed, and he went into the forest of Hedeth. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I want to tag this message, the Chronicles of David, part 9, when God encouraged his heart. When God encouraged his heart. When we come to today's text, family, we get to see David, the man on the move again. He is still running for his life, Reverend Mason, and he is seeking to find a place where he can finally be free from Saul. On last week, we saw what fear will make you do. Remember that, guys? David, on last week, played the role of a madman to try to escape from the hands of his enemies. But God was faithful. In spite of how David took things in his own hands, God made the enemy release him. And we learned that on last week when David failed to trust God by taking matters in his own hand, God still made a way of escape in spite of him. And so today, family, we get another glimpse at what God can do with the life of somebody who's living under attack. 
Today we get to see what God can do with somebody whose life has been full of mistreatment, who has been abused, who's been disrespected, who is fearful, and who's been rejected by society. God can promote them and call others to rally around them so that God may use them for his honor and his glory. What a mighty God we serve. Now, let's look at this text today and examine the life of David. Happy anniversary, Brother Cliff. I want to go on the record to tell you that. Thank you for being in worship today. Three points. Three points I want to share with you. Number one, we want to talk about David's place of isolation. Number two, we want to talk about David's place of intercession. And then number three, we want to talk about David's place of importance. How God encouraged his heart by taking him to three different places. I hope y'all help me today. When we come to verse one, we see that David, you see the text there? Therefore departed. He departed from Achish where his life was on the line. And the text says, and he escaped, you should circle that word, to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his fathers heard of him, Tom, Tom, they went down to where he was. Can I unpack this for you? When we see David in this verse, Brother Arthur, we, we see him, yeah, and a few of his men from the last chapter escaping from Achish by the grace of God. And because of fear, he departs from the city, but escapes with his life. The word escapes is put in the text to put emphasis on Achish being a place of danger from David. See, you only escape from places that's trying to hurt you. If he just left, it would have said he just left. But it wants you to know he departed and he escaped. Y'all in here now? See, see, in other words, in other words, not only does he escape, but his efforts to flee from the king of Achish made him run into hiding. And the first place he goes, Sean, is into a cave. The cave was no ordinary cave. It was the cave of Adullam. Adullam, yeah, yeah, is a hiding place. It was a place of retreat for David. It was a place of reprieve. It was a place where the enemy couldn't find him, Tate. It was a place of security from the outside world. David was still afraid in verse 1. He's still fearful of what his enemies can do to him. Adullam is the Hebrew name for an old Canaanite city. It was an abandoned city, but it was a, a city where the enemy still dwelled. It was situated in between Lachish and Hebron, which is a picture of enemies being all around you. But God had tucked out a place in between his enemies and made it a temporary hiding place. Y'all in here? He had enemies on both sides. And though the cave was an obvious location for him to retreat to, he would only be there until he could discover what his next move would be. And somebody looking at me today, you in between that rock and the hard place. Enemies all around you. You just trying to buy some time till you can figure out what your next move would be. Come on, help me in here. I've learned in life, daughter Pee Wee, that sometimes you need an adulam. Sometimes you need that place to go to when your life is in the balance. Sometimes you need an adulam family. That secret place that's in between the enemy's headquarters. Sometimes you need an adulam 
to pause and to gather your thoughts, to, to lick your wounds and cry for a minute. Sometime you need an adulam, that place where you can gather your thoughts and think about what just happened to you. Adulam, Lori, is a dark place, but it can also comfort you in the midst of the storm. In Adulam, David has life, but he lost everything else. In Adulam, he's got his health, but he ain't got no material things. In Adulam, he has his mind, but he lost his dreams. In Adulam, he's got a few friends with him, but his spouse is gone. Adulam is that place of introspection and recollection. But it's also the place where God is about to do something new. I feel this thing. Y'all better come on with me here. Secondly, we discover in this text that when his brothers and all his father's house heard that he was down in Adulam, they got up from where they were. And they came down to be with David. This is interesting because this reveals that by now, all of Israel knows that Saul is out to kill David. I don't know how his family got the news, but they got the news some kind of way. That the baby boy, the last born of seven, who was once the hot record in Israel is now on the run for his life. And when they get the news from the wire, big brother in them, grab mama and daddy, got on the first donkey smoking, came down to check on baby boy. Are y'all in here with me? What I like about this text is that when they heard of David's misfortune, they came to console him. They came to comfort him. They came to connect with him. Can I let my hair down? They know he a fugitive. They know Israel's FBI most wanted is looking for him. They know he's on the most wanted list. And they know Saul tried to kill him several times. But they don't care. Because they know his character. Sometimes everything CNN say ain't true. Can I put my head down here? They don't care because they know his character and they are willing, watch this now, to risk their lives to care for their brother who's alone in a cave hiding for his life. And even though David has enemies, his family ain't willing to separate from him. Oh, I'm going to preach it like I feel it today. They embrace his trouble and they come to see about him. I, I, I observed something in this text, Sister Morgan. I believe that God stirred up the family to come see about the baby boy. I believe that it was on the heart of God that he don't leave his servant in the cave thinking that he's all alone. See, all I'm trying to say is every now and then, everybody needs somebody. Family needs family every now and then. I don't care what they're accused of. Are y'all in here now? David's family teaches you and I that when we have those we love who have been falsely accused, mistreated, persecuted, and pursued by death, we should be ready and willing to come see about them. Even if they are in places that they got no business dwelling in. Am I making sense here? The text teaches me and you, or you and I, that you don't throw away family. Come on in here. You don't throw away those who've been born in your clan. I don't care how bad they get. I don't care what they've been accused of. 
I don't care what cave and den they hiding in, what penitentiary, what dope house, you don't throw away family. Come on, talk to me. I don't care what your counselor said. I don't care what the police said. I don't care what laws they broke. You don't throw away your own people. Tell your neighbor, don't throw them away. Don't throw them away. This text is teaching me, Lori, daughter, that if you just keep living, one day you're going to need somebody. And you're going to need them to show up in the darkest time of your life. This verse teaches me that that family ought to be there for you when nobody else will. I know I'm getting on somebody's nerve, but I, I plan to do that today. I plan to do that today. This, this text is teaching me that no matter what King Saul thought about David, David still has somebody who cared about him. And then can I keep reading the text? Because verse 2 backs up verse 1. And verse 1, all the family came to see about it. But in verse 2, look at this, Brother Sean. It says, and... That's a, that's a conjunction, right? It hooks up two moving thoughts. In other words, you can't read verse 1 and jump to verse 3 without backing into verse 2. The family came down and somebody said, and. Everyone. You should circle that word. Watch this. Everyone who was in distress. Everyone who was in debt. And everyone who was discontented. They gathered to him. So he became a captain over them. And they were about 400 men with David. You talk about a toe-up army. That's a picture of the church right there. I'm trying to contain myself right here. Yeah, yeah. You should have saw something by just reading it. When we come to this text, yeah, brothers and sisters, not only did the immediate family get the word that he was in the doolum, but the whole community heard about it. I told you he had a hit record in Israel. Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his 10,000. That was rocking the highway. Everybody knew who David was. Am I making sense right there? When they heard about what happened to David, something happened to their hearts. Did y'all catch that? And certain people became moved to come down to where he was, even though he was dwelling in a cave. Did these people all have something in common? That they could relate to David. Uh, let me say it again. They were people who were in distress. That they were people who were in debt. And they were also people who were discontented. Can I pause right there? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been stressed out to the max? Have you ever been broke and in debt? I ain't talking to the rich crowd today, am I? And not only that, they were discontented with their current life situation. And look, life had bothered them. Oh, I feel it today. Living had got hard for them. And society and King Saul had got on their last nerve. So when they knew what Saul did to David, they believed in David, and they trusted him. They looked up to David. When these things happened, they automatically felt connected to his story and moved by God to come and commune with his servant. This is a God story, y'all. It's a God story we're looking at today. Let me tell you why. First of all, God called David to be king. 
four chapters ago. Remember that? And then, called, then God called David to suffer. Remember that? And then God calls people who are suffering to come down and encourage David and the doulum. So that David might be reminded that God ain't forgot you. That's why God put people in your life. When you're going through a jazz, he know how to send somebody to you, baby, who's going through it too. He don't necessarily remove the suffering, but he brings somebody along who got the same testimony. So they become a witness to the witness that the one who called them in the suffering is still witnessing of his glory. Bless my bones, Lord Jesus. These people are sent to David by God. Perhaps in the cave, he thought he was all alone and the only one going through it. But God sent 400 witnesses, Sister Rie, to come alongside to relate to his story. Can I tell you, you ain't the only one struggling with your PG&E. It just looked like we got it all together in here. Come on, sir. You ain't the only one got problems with relationships. Your marriage ain't the only one on the rocks. Come on, talk to me. Your kids ain't the only one that misbehave. You ain't the only one going through what you're going through. That's why you showed up to a doulum today. Text said it was 400 men. Can I spend some time right there? I like this. I like this because God's trying to teach me that God added men to David. Because nothing can encourage a man like another brother who believe in him. I just said something right there. Where the brothers at? Where the brothers at? God wanted to solidify in the heart of David. That you still my man. And you still a leader of me. I know it looked like you fell down. I know it looked like you lost your place in the palace. But I got 400 men. That'll ride or die with you. Can I say some more? Look, 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 look. God wanted David to know. That you protected David. I got you covered. And I got you in community. And you got nothing to fear with the Lord on your side. It's important ladies. For your men to have brothers. Sister Wilson my best friend. It's my ride or die to the end. But Sister Wilson can't do for me what another brother could. Are you in here now? Brothers you need another brother. Don't you believe the lie of the devil that all you need is your queen and nobody else keep living. That cave will get lonely. And God has to send you some brothers who can lock arm in arm with you. Am I talking to you? It's important that men have men to fight alongside of them. Look, sisters are wonderful to have in a battle. Can't nobody scrap like a woman. Amen. I know. I'm born of a woman. Yes, I am. Sister raised me by herself for a long time. Ain't nobody like mama. Don't make me seem that oldie. Always love my mama. She's my favorite. You only get one, you only get one. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't nobody like a sister. But when a man is in a cave, a man need another brother to come alongside and to stand with him in his darkest day. God had David in a doulum, which was a place of isolation. Notice what God is doing to him in isolation. He's trying to encourage 
his heart. Can I say some more? When you come to the second point, God's place of intercession, you see something happen, a dramatic change in the life of David. Verse 3, you got it? Say, I got it. The Bible says, then, you should pause right there. Something happened between verse 2 and verse 3. After the 400 men came, the Bible says, then. David went from there, he's leaving his location, to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and my mother come here with you till I may know what God will do for me. And so he brought them, look at this, before the king of Moab. And they dwelt with him all the time that David, watch this, was in the stronghold. Y'all going to help me unpack it? I'll do my best. McDuff, here's what I learned, brother. When we come here, we find that after all the people came down to David, that the cave of Adullam, it got too tight. He had to relocate the ministry because it had grown immensely. And so David needed a new location for those who had come to follow him. The text says that David came up with a plan. And he left Adullam and he went to Mizpah of Moab. Don't read that too fast. In fact, let me put a plug in here and give you some great biblical interpretation tools. Whenever you read the Bible and you run across places, geographical locations, pause. Get out your Bible dictionary and look up the name of these places. Because the name enhances the narrative. Can I say more? As a dulum became a place of isolation, he moves from isolation to mispah. Can I tell you why? The word mispah in the Hebrew means watchtower. He goes from the place of isolation to a strong tower. Only God can encourage the heart like that. Moves you from your cave where you depressed and everything else to a position of strength. That's what God's trying to get us to see. This text, according to scholars, was apparently the fortified city of the king of Moab. Now, the king of Moab was not a Hebrew. He was a Gentile. But David here can have rest from his enemies in the watchtower. Can I say some more? It was a place where he could trust safely under the rule of this Gentile king. It was under his covering that David didn't have to have fear anymore. So he went, watch this now, and he interceded, Alanique, on behalf of his people to the king. Uh-oh, somebody should have jumped up right there. Y'all, y'all missed it. He interceded for those who were distressed, discontented, and in debt. He goes to the king. And he leads them from isolation to a strong town. I'm working hard up here. Can I say some more? He had, watch this now, a personal audience with the king of Moab. He wasn't a Moabite. He didn't, he didn't give himself over to the country. But can I tell you what I learned right here? The Moabite king 
must have been practicing that ancient ritual called sanctuary for people who were running from their lives from wicked governments. And because he practiced sanctuary, David and his crew of 400 would run into the sanctuary where they had an audience with the king of Moab. Oh, I see y'all ain't impressed. I came ready today. Y'all ready? Here's what else I found out. David wasn't a Moabite, but he had some Moabite blood. What do you mean? His great-grandmother, her name was Ruth, a Moabite. So whether the king accepted sanctuary or not, I'm your distant relative. And according to family heritage, you got to let me and my house into the sanctuary. <laughs> Y'all trip me out, I'm telling you. I'm working hard. I can't get an amen. Or... All right, all right. Isn't that something? Good God Almighty. I like this because if you can't get excited about David, you can get excited about an unknown king. An unknown king who takes in the distressed. An unknown king who takes in those who are in debt. An unknown king who's got room for the discontented. <laughs> An unknown king who's open to intercession. An unknown king who's got love for cave dwellers. Don't make it up. It's in the text. I'm glad for grandmama. Here's the beautiful thing about Israelite, the salvific plan that God used for the Israelites. God always had a plan to save everybody, not just Hebrews. See why it's important that he identifies Ruth, the Moabitess, in the salvific plan? If Ruth ain't in his family, David ain't got access to Moab. I'm not Hebrew, I'm Gentile, but I'm glad there was a little co-mingling going on. Am I making sense right there? I like that text. Then the text tells something interesting. <coughs> For those of you who ain't impressed with my culture and context, <laughs> let me just stay in the text. Let me just stay in the text. Look what he says to the king. Let my mama and my daddy stay with you until, y'all see that? I will know what the Lord will do for me. Daughter Carrie, I almost lost my mind when I came across this. I think you'll appreciate it. God had called David from a place of isolation and distress to now his intercession. And in his intercession, his language changes. You can see from the mood of his quote, he's no longer down and out. He tells the king, let mama and daddy stay here until God will let me know what he's going to do for me. What do you mean, pastor? The boy got encouraged in the place of isolation. And when the folk came down, he recognized the Lord. He ain't through with me yet. I may be in a dark place, but I'm the comeback kid. I may be down and out, but God's got his hand on me. David, remember, he was anointed as the new king of Israel. God ain't promoting me yet. But let them stay here. 
until God tells me what he's going to do with me. Can I say some more? David ain't no longer afraid. Uh-uh. He ain't no longer lonely. He ain't no longer in doubt about what God could do. It's in, yeah, Mizpah that he has a different mindset now. And in expecting God to do something great on his behalf. We can learn from this text, family, that when God takes you from a place of isolation, Shatari daughter, he always does it through the encouragement of others. Can I tell you, you can't fight depression by yourself. You can't fight discontentment by yourself. I know you tough. I know you the meanest thing from your family. But you need somebody to go from isolation to a strong tower. When God is ready to encourage your heart, he's going to move you from the place of isolation by the help of others. Am I talking to you here? God connects you intimately with your families, your church, so that you may feel fortified when you get to the strong tower. This is powerful, ain't it? I like verse 4 because it opens up for me. The Bible says that David, he brought them before the king. Now look at that. Ain't that beautiful? He first intercedes on their behalf, and then he goes back and get them and makes the introduction himself. That's discipleship right there. And look at this. He says, and they dwelt with him, the king, all that time. Watch this now, because the text changes. Reverend Greer, the text says they dwelt with him all that time. Watch this. That David was in the stronghold. Wait a minute. That's not the strong tower. The stronghold is in the same location, but it's in a different position. When David gets encouraged here, David puts his parents under the watch of the king. And in the strong tower, they were under the protection of the king. But in the stronghold, David was on the front line for the king. You didn't see that? I know because it took me all week to see it. He takes his parents, places them in the house, and then goes to defend the house. Because he's got his soldier mentality back. Can I say some more? In the strong tower, they would be ministered to by the king. But in the stronghold, David was ministering to the king. They were in two different places. And ministry was flowing in Mizpah. Do you know there's times when you need to run into the strong tower and be whole? And then there are times when you're engaged in the stronghold, defending the strong tower, ministering for the king. The king don't need you to fight for him, but he puts you on the front lines to witness for him. We ought to take our cues today from the tax family. While the king of the strong tower serves us, we ought to serve him from the stronghold. Can I say some more, Johnny? The stronghold is that place of security. The stronghold is that place of safety. It's the place of attack. It's the place of assurance. It's the place of awareness. Oh, heck, it's the church. I lost some of y'all. Can I argue my text? The church is the stronghold of God. This is where people run in to get to the tower. This is the place that holds the evil one back. This is the place where the discontented get ministered to. This is the place where those who are in debt get fed. This is the place where those
those who are distressed get healed. It's the stronghold of God. Tell your neighbor, welcome to the stronghold. Welcome to the God wanted to encourage his heart, but he had to take him to the place of isolation. God wanted to encourage his heart, so he had to lead him to the place of intercession. And then finally, we learned that God wants to encourage his heart, so he gives David a place of importance. You should write this one down. <clears throat> The Bible says in verse 5, now the prophet Gad, he said to David, do not stay in the stronghold, depart and go to the land of Judah. This is the third location. So David departed and he went into the forest. Of Hereth. Let me make it live. When you come here, family, to this passage, you get to see a shift in position of our brother David. He has found a place of refuge and safety in Moab. Yet God, the same one who called him there, he disrupts his position, Zuniga, to send him now into the forest. Yeah. The forest becomes a picture of a place of importance. A place to prepare David for the rest of the journey. I'm going to argue this piece. God doesn't necessarily prepare you in places of solitude. When he does his men in the Bible, he puts them in the wilderness, puts them in the desert, somewhere where they're going to be tested. Are y'all in here? In fact, I would argue that the best stuff that happened in your life happened when stuff has happened to you. You don't necessarily grow when the grass is green. You grow when the water got cut off. And you ain't seen no growth. You grow when the doctor say your baby got cancer. Your mama ain't going to make it. Or daddy comes without your permission and take your loved one. Those are the seasons of growth. The forest places. God leads you into them that he might develop you in the crucible of pain. I ain't making it up. I'm telling you from experience. I grew when I left Fresno because he put me through it. Not because I wanted to grow. He made me hungry some night. I got disappointed a lot of times. I got mistreated in different states. I had people lie on me and lie to me. He put me in dark places so I could experience the crucible of pain. And it's from the forest that he produces disciples. A lot of us want to be great, but you don't want to do what it takes to be great. If you're going to be great, it's going to cost you something. You better choose to stay mediocre. Because greatness hurts. It calls for sacrifice and sufferings and setbacks and disappointments and tear-stained pillows and, and broken hearts and saying goodbye to loved ones. It hurts. But it's what God uses. I'm off my script, but can I give you this? If he don't take Jesus through it, what makes you think he ain't going to take you through it? In order for Jesus to fulfill the will of God, he got to go through the wilderness. So he calls David, come here. And he speaks through a prophet named Gad. Interesting. 
Gad is unknown in the scripture. First time he ever shows up on the scene. And look at who he shows up with. The rest of the people who distress, who in debt, and who discontented. I'm talking to the preachers right here. This will preach right here. He with the people. He broke. He distressed. And he ain't happy with his calling. But God calls him to go down with broken people to serve in David's ministry. And when the time is right, God sends Gad a word. And the word to David is, get up from the stronghold and get down to Judah. Can I unpack that? I'll get out your way. Here's why I want to unpack it. Some of you are really always encouraged by somebody tone tone telling us, I got a word from you. The Lord gave me a word for you. I see this in your future. You better stay away from them words. Can I tell you why? The Bible has already fulfilled all the promises and the prophecies for you. And everybody else. The cannon is closed. Am I making sense here? Let me argue my text. When Gad makes this prophecy to David, guess what he's quoting? Deuteronomy 23. Deuteronomy 23, 2 and 6. He goes back to remind David that no Israelite shall enter into a treaty with a Moabite. The prophet is only to prophesy what is written. And he simply reminds the man he's following. King, I know it's good here. I know we got some safety here. But the Bible says. We can't enter into a treaty with the Moabites. If it's sanctuary, you can stay here for a minute. But after that, we got to keep it moving. And Gad falling under the conviction of the Spirit of God just quotes the Bible to David the king. I like this right here. That's what made him a true prophet. He was prophesying what the Bible had already said. I guarantee you if I took a poll in here and I talked to the people who've been prophesied to, somebody promised you a mansion, somebody promised you a husband, you still wait. Somebody prophesied you, prophesied something good to you or over you because you were hurting. You were in distress. You were discontented. And you eagerly hung on to their word. Only prophet you need to listen to is the one who say, turn with me to the book. I see you going through it. Let me tell you what the Bible says to you. And the next person I come up to you and say, I got a word. Tell me, where you find that at? You can just tell them, I don't mean no harm, but I just, I can't make it up. I got to. I bet they run. I bet they run from you. I'm glad right here. I'm off my script, but I'm glad right here. I'm glad because David listened to the word of God even watch this now if it meant him being uncomfortable come on come on come in here he had to leave the stronghold y'all and go back and face the unknown but the word of God had already been written and it had been spoken and no matter how uncomfortable God was calling him to be. He obeyed the word of the Lord. <clears throat> this lets me know that God was doing something in his heart. And I know I've been too long. I got to let you go. But can I tell you why I think he was calling him to the forest? Because he was a man of war. 
He was a warrior. And God was calling him, John, to, to warfare. David just simply had to obey the word of the Lord and trust that God knew what was best for him. He had been encouraged, refreshed, renewed, restored, and now it was time to engage again in the calling that God had on his life. Some scholars talking to me in my ear in the library said to me, brother preachers, they said, the forest really, Wilson, would have been the best place to train for battle and for excellent protection against the large Saul armies. David and them could hide in the trees and the bushes and the thickets and wait and ambush instead of being cornered in the stronghold where there was nowhere to go. He put his trust in God on display. I know I, I, I got to go because when y'all start walking, I know y'all tired. They start walking, they're tired. He displayed his trust in the word of God. Because the Torah told him to. He displayed his trust in the provision of the Lord. Because he understood that if Yahweh would bring me into the strong tower, the physical location, then Yahweh himself would be my strong tower. <laughs> if he placed me in the wilderness. Are y'all in here now? What I'm talking about here is that David decides right before our eyes, I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight. I don't understand why your law is telling me this, but God, I'm going to obey your word. And I'm going to step out by faith and get back into the dark place so you can do in me what you need to do in me. All I'm trying to tell you, Brother Carly, is that David's ministry kept him on the move. David's ministry kept God revealing himself to him because David now was depending on God to encourage and renew the heart. As I close, God was using people to encourage David. God was using people for divine appointments. And God was trusting, or rather David was trusting safely in the word of the Lord. For God to move in every area of his life. What about you today? Do you really trust God? You know you can tell by your actions. If you really trust God. If something happened in your life and your go-to plan is to do what you want to do first and then consult God. You ain't trusting God. If your go-to plan is to come up with your plan and ask God to bless your mess, you ain't trusting God. David decides, I'm going to trust him. And I'm going to step out on nothing and obey what he's calling me to do. Somebody here today, God is trying to test you, to bless you. He ain't trying to hurt you. He's trying to test you, to bless you. Where there is no test, there's no blessing. He tests what's in your heart to see if you really going to obey. And it's not till you decide to obey him that the blessings come down. Can I say some more? Somebody here today, God is trying to bring you out of that place of isolation where you depressed, you distressed, you in debt, you in doubt. God wants to bring you out of that. And he does it by singing other people to you with a testimony that they believe in you and that God's got you. So quit fighting everybody. That God sent to you to discourage, to encourage you. Quit fighting everybody that come to you when you broke. You thinking everybody got a motive and everybody can't be trusted. You can't be trusted yourself. And that's why God sent people just like you to you. I'm pastoring right here. 
Somebody looking at me this morning. The next assignment for you, God has ready. Now that he strengthened you, revived you, renewed you, it's time to get back out in the forest. Well, God can move in your life. You told the world, I'm out of debt now. I finally graduated from college. I'm free of this disease. I'm free of that disease. But you ain't did nothing since your freedom. You living on yesterday's miracle. And it's a brand new day with a whole lot more trauma that God has for you. If you want a fresh miracle, jump in the deep water. Come out your comfort zone. Some of y'all looking at me, come on. You done got safe in the stronghold. And as long as I got me and my few little 400, I'm good. But the word says this, go into all the world and make disciples. You got to come out of that stronghold. Am I making sense here? Yes, Unknown poem, or artist wrote this poem. I thought it was powerful. I thought it, it coined David's words. It says, tis far, far better to let him choose the way that we should take. If only we leave our lives in him, he will guide without mistake. We, in our blindness, would never choose a pathway dark and rough. And so we should ever find in him the God who is more than enough. David understood that God was more than enough. And that God had his mama and daddy in the strong tower. It was better for him not to enter into a treaty with the world, but to obey the word of God. And to step out in the difficult place. And do what God was calling him to do. I believe that this is what David was. And after God blessed him in Adullam, God opened the door for him to go to Mizpah. And in Mizpah, he heard the call to go to Judah. And it would be down in Judah where he would trust the word of the Lord. As I close this morning, David, I told you weeks ago, was a type of Christ. And you can see the resemblance here, daughter Christian, Jesus had the same testimony. Just as it was tough for David to go into the wilderness, it was tough for Jesus to go through the, the, the wilderness. Am I right right there? Jesus was tempted by Satan. But God showed up after the temptation and encouraged him by the angels. Jesus, yes, had it good in the stronghold for three years. He did ministry with the disciples in northern Palestine. But when the time was right, he had to leave the stronghold and make his way to Golgotha, the place of the forest where he was going to be tested and tried. He was going to be crucified, died, buried, and risen again. If David got to go through it, Jesus had to go through it. But Jesus was delivered. Come on, talk to me. Death kissed him, but it couldn't hold him. Early Sunday morning, with all power of heaven and earth in his hand, he conquered death, hell, and the grave. And is alive today at the right hand of the Father. Can I tell you why? He went through a doolum. He conquered Mizpah and rose from Judah. He's the king of glory, the prince of peace, my all in all, the alpha and the omega. The beginning and the end. The bright and the morning star. He's victorious. He's the king of all the earth. And he's my savior. I got to leave you right here. But on my way to my seat. I reached back and found one of them great hymns of old. We don't know nothing about hymns today. Because we're in a postmodern generation. So come on go with me. To grandma's little church. That little country church with that little broken piano and that sometime working organ got to do what it did. They used to sing the song, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, 
What a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still. And with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Then they got happy and they sang the second chorus. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the sky, but a smile quickly drives it away. No doubt or a fear, nor a sigh or a tear can abide when we trust and obey. Somebody in the back yell, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Can I give you one more? They said, not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toil he does richly repay. Not a grief or a loss, not a frown or a cross, but is blessed if we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey.